I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. And this would have been the passage I would have addressed. In any event, it's part of a short series. But somehow, as I reflected on it in the final moments of preparation, how appropriate it is for us to remind ourselves that the gospel is for everyone. Gospel is for everyone. Nobody is to be excluded. I'm going to read the story from here. I just need to give you a little bit of the introduction because it'll help as we lead into the message. So here we have some parables of Jesus and it all revolves around banquets. Coming together and enjoying a banquet. And uh, of course we know that banquets is a big figure of speech, a metaphor for the kingdom of God. God has prepared a banquet, it is ready, it's called his kingdom, and we go into that banquet and enjoy the good things of the kingdom. And Jesus observes what's happening in one of these banquets, and he gives some advice. Now, it's more than social etiquette, it's more than trying to avoid a bit of public embarrassment, but he says, when you go to a banquet, Take the lowest place. Uh, if you take the highest place and somebody more important than you comes, you'll be asked to move places and you'll be embarrassed. So it sounds like, well, that's just a little bit of advice that an uncle may give his nephews and nieces. But actually, it's a parable. And Jesus is saying, remember this principle. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. The kingdom turns on the pivotal point of humility. Then it goes on to say, by the way, when you have banquets, don't just invite your rich friends. If you fill your house with your friends and people who can invite you back, then you will get an invitation back. We all know that. Oh, somebody's invited us for dinner. Well, how, when we will be able to invite them back? It's how it sort of goes. And so Jesus says, don't be like that. When you hold a banquet, bring people to that banquet who could never repay you. Because the way you demonstrate compassion, social care, mercy, love on other people will reflect and you'll receive your reward, not so much on earth, but in heaven. And then we come into the story. Luke 14, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at a table heard him say these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I must go and examine them, please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry 
said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. The gospel is for everyone. From Queen Elizabeth in Buckingham Palace to Elizabeth Queen in the back streets of the East End. The gospel is for the up and outs, the down and outs, the movers, the shakers, those who have no influence. The rich and the poor, the powerful and the powerless, the religious and the non-religious, the moral and the immoral, the educated and the ignorant, the law abiders and the criminals. But God has a special place in his heart for the weak, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the hurting, the downtrodden, the rejected, and the forgotten. The Bible speaks about how Jesus' ministry was well received by the common people. It's not a put down, it's just a fact. Ordinary people. In fact, he had the most resistance from the wealthy, the influential, especially those who were of the religious elite, the institutionalized form of religion that was current at the time. And Jesus would preach in the temple, in the portico of the temple, where people would gather informally and, and he would teach them. And uh, on one occasion, he took on the current notion amongst the scribes and Pharisees, those who were the elite of the elite. And they had a kind of put down to Jesus. People were saying that, oh, Jesus, he, he's the Messiah. And they began to talk about Jesus or the Messiah being the son of David. Now, those of us with a theological background will know that's a, quite a compliment because the Messiah would, of course, be the son of David, but they were saying, no, he's just, he's just human, he's just ordinary, nothing special, don't pay too much attention to him. And so Jesus teaches and says, how do they say that Messiah is the son of David? Don't they know the scripture? And he quotes one of the Psalms where it says, the Lord, that is God himself, said to my Lord, that is the Lord of David, sit at my right hand and I'll put enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Now, you know, to get the impact of that, we'd have to go into a little bit of detail, but there's one thing that is obvious that people knew. Maybe they weren't doctors of theology, but they knew that Jesus was speaking well and confronting the institutional closed-mindedness of the day. People who were willing to put to one side the evidence of their eyes to see that there was someone remarkable, something remarkable happening, but because it didn't fit into their preconceived ideas because they were prejudiced, they put every, everyone down. But the, it says here at the end of that verse, 
and the great throng, and in the other version says the common people, the common people heard him gladly. Now I love that. I love that. It means that people who are open-hearted, who are not necessarily protectionist about their place in society, who have, shall we say, no axe to grind, or maybe nothing to lose when it comes to following Christ, those people are open. And it reminds me of the, the great statement of Jesus when he was called upon to give the Sabbath scripture reading in the synagogue of Nazareth and he turned to Isaiah chapter 61 and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the, to the, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So we see the gospel, while it is for everyone and everyone's invited, nevertheless, God has a special heart for those people who are suffering particularly through any form of prejudice or being marginalized. And it's to these people we are primarily called to go. I don't know if you recall in the Gospels the story of John the Baptist who had been the one who announced the coming of Messiah and uh, for his efforts he was rewarded by being placed in prison under a death penalty. And at such a time as that, there he was beginning to doubt. I mean, who wouldn't? And so he sent a message to Jesus and saying, really? Your Messiah? Really? I thought Messiah was going to make things better instantly, but actually it's got whole worse for me. And Jesus did not respond directly, but he said these words, Luke 7, 22. These scriptures are appearing behind me. He says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the and these are the kind of things that we point to. We know that the miracles of Jesus are well attested. They are, have early testimony, eyewitness testimony, and even those outside the Christian faith acknowledge that it happened. And we like to think about that. These are great signs. These are the kingdom, the glory, the power, and we, we get excited about that. But we miss this final sign. And this sign is most crucial. Today, I cannot guarantee you a miracle, but I can guarantee you this sign. It says, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That, to me, is one of the greatest signs. I remember at the end of the 20th century, am I getting my calculations right, when there was a person honored to be the personality of the century. We could think of many people, innovators in the area of medicine and science, politicians, great leaders, great rulers, great innovators. But it was one woman, Mother Teresa, who was honored. Why? Because she put into practice the gospel. Not only did she preach good news to the poor, but more importantly, she became good news to the poor. That is our call. And so the message that is ringing in my ears today, and I'll, I will, this is what I want to highlight, 
It's the end of that parable. The master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Let's go through this briefly this morning. We find Jesus comparing the kingdom to a banquet. I mean, it's a party, a great occasion. And uh, I wonder if that sort of does your head in a little bit. Because when we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about this, many people have a very different attitude or idea of God. He is the God who is so removed in heaven that he's of no earthly use, or we think of him as a heavenly policeman or a killjoy, rather like my life when I was a youngster, my mother's voice would ring out over a very silent house saying, find out what Colin is doing and stop him. It's too quiet here. God is waiting for you to trip up and he sure is heaven going to condemn you. I want to say this, nothing could be further from the truth. Our God is a good God. Amen. Our God is loving and he has prepared in his kingdom all the good things. Whatever might be your favorite food, forget about it. There's better food in the kingdom. What is your favorite dish? Uh, we have at least one annual banquet, actually, truth is we have a banquet every week. Downstairs in the lower hall we serve lunch and no matter how much I protest, you still stick to Kensington Temple's favourite dish. Chicken and jollof rice. <laughs> it's your favourite. I'm not a fish person, I'm a qualified scuba diver instructor and I never eat my friends. <laughs> but I have many favourite dishes from all over the world delicacies, wonderful, wonderful food all over the world. But the food of the kingdom is above and beyond anything that could ever be produced on Master Chef, the bread of the kingdom. Let me give you an example of this. Again, it's in the context of the Apostle Paul dealing with the nitpickers of religion. And uh, it seems to me one of the definitions of religion, unfortunately, and there's a positive approach to this. I know you know, we're Christians and Christian, Christianity is a religion, but I don't really like to look at it like that. It's much more of a fellowship. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's loving Jesus. It's loving God. It's loving people. It's being together in a relationship. But as soon as religion, particularly extremely institutionalized forms of religion, not only does bias and prejudice come in, not only does superiority and moral superiority comes in, condemnation comes in, rule-keeping, nitpicking, and the Apostle Paul says, listen, stop all that, because the kingdom of God, Romans 14, verse 17, is not a matter of legalistic rules over eating and drinking, but the food of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you would order that on the menu. Surely, peace and joy. There is a peace that not any chemical can provide. I do not make a snipe or at, at prescribed medications which have the capacity of altering brain chemistry and helping you out of a time where you need it under medical supervision. I'm not speaking against that. I'm just saying that there is a peace that cannot be manufactured. It is a peace that passes all understanding. It is a heavenly peace. It is a peace 
that you can find in troubled circumstances. And I, I, I dare to suggest that various members of the Lawrence family and others close by have at times found that peace. And that is what has given you courage and strength. Joy, joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, we're talking about a level of joy that is beyond mere circumstances. You can have circumstances which are enviable, but you can be miserable. And I, again, I'm not making a swipe at rich people. I've met many rich people who are the most miserable people ever. Not, not that money makes you miserable, but, <laughs> but it can do if you put your faith in those things. And when you think about it, the things that bring more lasting and enduring joy are the things that money can never buy. And the kingdom of God is full of that. But let's not neglect the priority here because the first word is righteousness. And again, this plays into the whole imagery of hungering and thirsting. Jesus said, don't worry about what you eat or drink and the provision. Your heavenly Father knows that you need such things. He, he clothes the flowers of the field. He feeds the birds of the air. How much more will he do these things for you? But here's your responsibility. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness is more than mere morality. Righteousness is having a right relationship with God which is based on the forgiveness of sins. And with that forgiveness of sins, we can learn. It's not easy, but we can learn to forgive others. And that is what we've heard about this morning from Dr. Neville Lawrence. So God is holding a banquet, and guess what? You're all invited. Um, I just want to ask you, don't worry about this, just, just let me know, it would be very interesting. Have you received an inv invitation yet to the royal wedding? Has, has Harry and Mark, have they sent it to you? Nobody? It's in the post. But one of the things that this young modern couple want is for their wedding to be celebrated by everybody. I believe if it were possible, they'd say, everybody, you're all welcome. But they've had to be selective, but generously so, 2,640 members of the public, many, many young people being selected, many of them to be honored for their leadership in the community, the kind of people upon whom we depend to solve some of these social problems and the outcome of them, knife, crime, and so forth. 200 people from charities and organizations and 100 pupils from local schools. See, what they're saying is, we want everybody to share this happy day. We don't want it just to be for, for the rich, for the famous, and so on. We want it to be for everybody, and I, I respect that. that that's, that's wonderful. And how much more do we rejoice when God says, this invitation goes out to everybody. Everybody is welcome. Nobody is excluded. However, there is a problem. There is an issue. There is a condition attached to accepting the invitation. And that is, we are there to honor the one 
in whose honour the banquet is held. Let me just pull out an outrageous uh, example. Okay, let's suppose that there was a banquet being held in honour of the most notorious drug dealer in all of South England. And you are invited to celebrate this person and the work they're doing. Would you feel like going? If you would, please come and see me afterwards. <laughs> I have several hours of free time this week to speak to you. Well, it's a ridiculous example, but I, I, I want to then twist it now. If the Messiah, if the Lord is holding a banquet and the banquet is in his honor, then going into the banquet and enjoying it is saying yes to who he is. And there's a problem. The problem lies within us. You know, it's hard to explain, but when we think about it, at the end of the day, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. I heard that quoted many years ago. So when we look at social problems, and I know we have, must have a collective response, and there are many things that we can do to give equal opportunity to groups of people who are without those opportunities, I think it's very important as Christians to work towards that, to be part of that, and we are. We do all that we can in our local borough and in many other ways to be part of that. But, but society is made up of individuals. And society is sick because our hearts are sick. Every single one of us. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And as the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. Because of that, there is a reluctance to accept an invitation which is predicated on the condition that we humble ourselves and say, God, I've been wrong. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. But the salutary warning is that if you say no to the invitation, you exclude yourself. I think that's very, very important. We know that, to understand that. Our God is a welcoming, receiving God. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible, John 3.16, I'm sure you all quote, you want to quote it with me, John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God's heart is, is for everyone. But he has given us all freedom. The most precious and dignifying gift he could ever give any one of us is our own free will. God doesn't want to make robots out of us. He wants us to choose him. Makes everything ready. And if we choose him, fine. If we don't choose him, we are the ones who exclude ourselves. And so Jesus says that means they'll never get to taste the banquet. Those who are invited never get to taste the banquet. And here just for the record, there's a story behind the story here because 
Jesus is being rejected, not by Jewish people as such, but by the institutional form of Judaism that existed in that day. They had no place for a Messiah like Jesus, one who'd be rejected and despised. No place for the suffering son of man. They were only looking for the political conquest and emancipation from the heavy yoke of Rome. But they missed the central message. And so in the story of the parable, Jesus is saying, okay, we'll cast the net wider, cast the net wider. And he cast the net so wide that for the majority of us, weird, Gentile, people way into the future, way at the other ends of the earth, in a world that was unimaginable in the days of Jesus Christ. We, you and me, are included, plus everyone of the children of Israel too, they included as they come to the banquet. So here's the story. First of all, etiquette, you send out formal welcome, formal invitations to the dignitaries, to the VIPs. They go out weeks in advance so they can plan their diary. And then the day when everything is ready, no time, we don't know when the banquet starts. I guess they work on African time. You know, we went, I, I was given a, given a gift in Kenya, my birthplace, went, given a wonderful gift. First of all, they offered me a cow um, and I hadn't quite got it. I suppose I'd forgotten. Oh, I, I won't be able to get the cow on the aeroplane. I thought that was a good answer. Uh, my Ghanaian friend took me inside and said, Colin, have you forgotten? No, no, what you're supposed to say is keep it for me. So they brought a goat. I named it Shadrach, for he should surely go through the fire. <laughs> I said, thank you for the goat. Keep him for me. Next time I went, I'm sure it wasn't Shadrach, but it was some other poor creature. And uh, what time's dinner? Time? When the goat is ready, we eat. So when the banquet is ready, they say, everybody, come now, banquet is ready. And you heard about the excuses, poor excuses, basically saying, my life, my concerns are more important than the kingdom of God, right? Wrong. God's kingdom comes first. Everything else fits into place. So then he said, okay, well, go to the streets and alleyways of the, of the city. Now, picture London. I will not name places, but uh, I would say that these, these streets and alleyways are not the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, although there are places not far from here. Grenfell Towers just up the road. So this language means, okay, now go to where the other people live. You've gone to the palaces, you've gone to the big plush homes. Now go to the other places, you know, those side streets. Go down there. Go to those people. And now... Sociologically speaking, you're going to another group of people. People who are not the worst off, but people who have struggled a bit. And he brings them in. And still there is room in the house. Says, okay, now, no holds barred, all stops, cast that out, go right out to the highways, the hedges, go everywhere. And now in that society at that time, though that's where the people lived who didn't have anywhere to live. Who had absolutely nothing, had to live off the field or or what have you. So what he's saying now is that there are, there are no limits. And it, it's not just a sociological statement. He's not just saying, okay, uh, go, go to dif different social groups. But it means go to the people who are the most excluded. And that may mean people a little bit west of Shepherd's Bush. It may be people a little bit east of Hackney. It may be. I don't know. Mind you, 
and I go to those places, they've all changed. Places when I was first in London were very different and now they become, what's the word? Gentrified. But, but it's not about that. And I'm not making either a social or political comment here. I'm making a spiritual theological comment. We go to where people need us the most. And I believe the Christian church throughout history, even today, has this record. Very often, we're the first there when there's a tragedy. First there when there's a need. And we are there. We are people who are there. And I'm encouraging you by complimenting our efforts so far, but I want to encourage you beyond that, people of God, there is more that we can do. Go to where people are hurting. Go to where they've never heard. Also, it's about generations. I, I do a lot of work with what we call, I've done study on it, so it's the technical term, millennial generation. It is the generation of people today that are most excluded from what, what we do. Hardly any of them is touched by anything we do. A meeting with these people, speaking with them, enjoying them, learning from them, amazing bunch of people. I made one reference to something found in Psalm 23. Psalm 23, we all know. Anybody that's been to a funeral will know it. Sung it to the tune of Crimond. The Lord's my shepherd. Never heard of it. Lord's prayer, never heard of it. I'm talking about 25, 26, 27, 28 years of age. And so, people who've never heard, and people who are ready. And the one condition is that we all, all of us, humble ourselves and say, God, we need this. We're hungry. And the word that is used here, I've got to cover it. Go and compel them to come in. Compulsion. Now, of course, Jesus does not mean this literally. It would override free will. No, no, no. But it is, it is to be as strong and enthusiastic, to be as attractive in your presentation of Christ that you are compelling. Your testimony is compelling. And your persuasion is there. You can't make anybody do it, don't even try. But you be who you are as a Christian, as a believer, full of your faults and failings. Full of them all. Remember when I was born again, converted at... I was still a member of the Royal Ballet and I went home one Christmas and came back a bubbling, gleaming, white, smiling, born-again Christian. And I thought the only way to impress people was to be as perfect as I could possibly be. It lasted less than a week. <laughs> I won't tell you what happened, but it was embarrassing. You want to know, don't you? Mind your own business, okay. <laughs> but I blew it. Big time. And I thought, they're not going to listen to me now. And you know what? They came to say, would you pray for me? Talk to me? I said, what, what, what? And I called them. My kid, what are you talking about? When I was perfect, you didn't want to know. And now you know I'm just as bad as everybody else. Now you want to know. They said, exactly. We now know you're not talking about you. You're talking about him. They didn't quite say it that way. That's my summary of it. So it's not about being perfect. It's about being genuine. It's about having compassion. And sometimes, sometimes, that compassion can only be learned when we go through really, really tough times. And you heard Dr. Lawrence say that out of this experience, his desire is to help people. 
He's not on some campaign or crusade. He just wants to help, and have compassion. And at the end of the day, if there was one thing that would solve everything, it doesn't work like this, by the way, but if there were, it would be compassion. Compassion.